Good morning, everyone. Uh, it is good to be back uh, opening God's Word with you, particularly uh, in such a relaxed and comfortable passage. Uh, let me lead us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, give us wisdom, we pray, uh, to have our wills shaped by your will, our lives shaped by the life Jesus gives. We ask, Heavenly Father, go before us now and as we reflect on your word and live it out, uh, may your spirit work in us that miraculous work of growing us mature in Jesus. Amen. Uh, what do you think of when I mention discipline? Uh, is it something unpleasant? Something from school? Uh, is it something you don't like? Something you don't need? Uh, and yet, you know, if, if we are honest with ourselves, at least on our good days, and a little removed from the emotions of certain experiences, we know that discipline is a good thing, don't we? Uh, a necessary thing. We discipline ourselves, like at the time we get up in what we spend our time doing, our money on, who we spend our time with. Uh, parents discipline us when we are children. Police discipline us as we live with one another. Uh, employers discipline us as we go about our work. The life of following Jesus is no different. It contains discipline. It's no coincidence that we're called disciples of Jesus, where disciple is a word not only close in spelling, but also in meaning to discipline. Disciples are disciplined. And sometimes dis discipline is easy to receive and easy to give, but I guess the times that we remember more are the times, uh, many in fact, that it's hard to receive and equally hard to give. The question uh, begs itself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Uh, when our sons uh, were young, we lived on a busy road in Toongabbie. The deal was uh, you don't cross that road or any road without holding a parent's hand. Sounds like we we're pretty good parents, right? Uh, one day, someone took it into their mind to run toward the road without said parent's hand attached and came closer to being hit by a car than anyone wants to see. And so you could say, uh, we had been trying to discipline our son, teaching him and training him the way uh, to stay safe. We also disciplined our son when he didn't do uh, what we had said you can't tell which one it is because I've got three sons, so that's, I'm, I'm on safe territory. So we found ourselves having to pick appropriate consequences for the rest of the day and not consequences to vent our stress or anxiety and, and to do uh, this even when it was inconvenient for us. We needed to work on the discipline, the training, because roads are dangerous. You have to be disciplined so you can navigate them safely. How could we love our son and not? And so it's important to remember, discipline isn't about being punished for no reason. Discipline is training for our benefit. It's an expression of love. And when the stakes are high, when it's a matter of life and death, it is totally worth it. 
as Paul wrote his letter, this letter to the Corinthians, he writes with that same clear conviction uh, that our lives are filled with matters of life and death. And he writes and God speaks into them. You see, Paul was gravely concerned. He brought them to this church in Corinth, the news of forgiveness of sin, of new life with God, the invitation to no longer be dead to God. And they'd embraced it. And how does he speak of this extraordinary new identity that God has given them when they do and the same when we do, well, chapter 1, verse 2, uh, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified or made holy in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as Peter said when we began this morning, this is a turns things on their head change. It is a revolution. It is turning our world's not the wrong way up, but the right way up. And yet, well, while their identity had radically changed, their lives and their choices had not. When they should, when they must. And so chapter 3, verse 1 really is, uh, remember this across the whole of 1 Corinthians as you read it. It says, brothers and sisters, I could not address uh, you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. The danger is just as real for us. Uh, these words in chapter 5 are words we need to hear. And as we listen to them, God is comforting us with that same amazing gospel that Jesus is Lord that when we trust him, we become his blameless, holy people. And at the same time, he is warning us that if things don't change uh, in how we live and act, it's a sign we're in grave danger, the danger of losing what matters most of all, our eternal salvation. So like discipline itself... Uh, there may be hard things to hear today, uh, things we may not enjoy. Uh, and look, a couple of cautions as we're heading in. Don't think for a moment this, what's described here, or something as serious as this, couldn't happen in our church, okay? Uh, or that we're somehow more enlightened than they were. Uh, or that we are any less sinful. Otherwise, why would this be God's word to us? The other uh, comment I'll make is that the sort of situation that's arisen here uh, certainly doesn't arise day to day in the life of our church. But there is a, a continuum, a spectrum uh, of events and things that can be of greater significance. What we are hearing about here actually informs how we help one another anywhere else along the way when it comes to holiness and sin. So, uh, for the church in Corinth, it's a sorry story of two parts. Now, the first part, which uh, is obvious and sort of 
you know, is there in flashing lights at the beginning is a, a man who is sleeping with his stepmother. The second, though, is that the church that he belongs to doesn't see a problem or has done anything about it. Uh, Paul's appalled. And so we read from verse 1. Let me read it again. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind even pagans, that is people who don't believe in Jesus as Lord, uh, do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud? Uh, Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Corinth was a city, like it was, a, it was a, a buzzing city that was known for its anything-goes morality. Uh, not that different to Sydney, really. Uh, but even they would look down on what this man is doing. But the Corinthian Christians, they are so proud. Paul spoke of the way in which uh, he, they'd been hardened to the message of the gospel that saved them, he spoke about it there in chapter 4 he's speaking about he's observing it here that they wouldn't even see the seriousness of the immorality right in their midst and it's verse 2 and onwards that that forces us to see that this is going to be uh, not as much about the man but as the church and how we think and how we act Uh, indeed how we love but chapter 5 So chapter 5 is addressed to the church and we as a church today. Uh, Look how Paul addresses them. And each time you read the word you here, uh, it's not you, one person, it's you collectively. In fact, uh, I'm hoping to bring back, uh, you know, uh, how I use today. You know, uh, for a group, it's much more helpful to see the, the, the distinction. I'm not sure how popular it's going to be, and I'll spare reading you reading it to you that way right now. In verse 2, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? In verse 5, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In verse 7, get rid of the old yeast. In verse 11, you must not associate. Verse 11 again, Do not even eat with such people. And lastly, verse 13, expel the wicked person from among you. This man's actions, uh, repeated action, and failure to turn away from this repeated action, deny the holiness God has given him. And the church, who is his church, by their action, deny the holiness God had given it. Now, just to be clear at this point, uh, sexual holiness is sexual intimacy only within the marriage of a man and a woman, and so no sexual activity outside of marriage, whether married or single. Sexual immorality, which is on view here in the following chapters, it's a, it's a, it's a coverall term, is any activity that violates that. But we'll come back to that next week. Do you see what's going on here in these chapters before us? Uh, We saw that leaders who speak the word of God faithfully in the three chapters before are a gift from God to encourage us and enable us to walk in the holiness that is God's wonderful gift to us. 
now we see here the church likewise the people that god has gathered us with to himself are similarly a gift from god so we may walk in holiness what that reflects is that we're not just individuals we are individuals but we are individuals who together are a fellowship we are united by christ holy in him we have a common mind and purpose to live for him and in doing so we depend on one another together uh, uh, who we are together is greater than the sum of who we are on our own and so back in chapter 3 verse 16 uh, using the whole you use thing again paul reminds us that we are together god's one temple uh, not many individual temples of god so much and later in chapter 10 and 11, uh, 12 and 13 he's going to pick up pick up on this picture that he gives of the church of us as a body one body many parts united and serving together what this all means is what i do affects you and what you do affects me and as god's church we don't act out of self-interest but the best interests of each other so then uh, back to 5 verse 2 when one sin it affects uh, when one sins it affects us all look where i've highlighted this and you are proud shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this it's obvious why we should mourn isn't it now members of god's family where where sin grieves our father in heaven so it ought to grieve us and where sin endangers uh, the very life of one of our brothers and sisters uh, shouldn't it concern us but there's something else we must do if they will not change their ways uh, you will have heard it coming through already uh, put such a person out of our fellowship he's saying don't meet with them uh, i read out before uh, what he says again and again in verse 2 and 5 and 7 and 11 and 11 and 13 six times in all he says uh, they've got to go you've got to withdraw from them and because it's so confronting and so out of the ordinary to you know what feels like the everyday uh, we can think that that's an end in itself but it's not uh, we need to see that this isn't some sort of power play by Paul or church leaders within a church. This is not some gang of schoolyard bullies uh, beating up a weaker child. And neither is it an opportunity to puff ourselves up, to sort of read on and think to ourselves, well, at least we didn't do that. You know, surely that makes us better than them those are possible dangers for us but let me tell you what i think we find most difficult it's not doing something sorry it's not doing it's doing something that is incredibly hard to so love one another that we would enter into a situation which risks uncertainty which risks 
How will they respond? How will they take it? What will they say? What will they do? What will they say about me to other people? The pain, the possible anger, the slander. Are we willing to do something hard, even if it risks that? To challenge and confront worldliness in each other. This is what it means to love each other. If you and I uh, had to do this here at 945 Church, and in fact, it is more likely in our setting, and if you want me to explain this to you uh, in more detail later, I'm very happy to do so, uh, it might more likely be in a growth group, uh, one of our small group situations. If we had to break fellowship in this way, whatever the details may look like, it would be, it must be, only out of love. Paul doesn't use the word love here uh, yet, but it's certainly clear from verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. There are two things going on here. A goal and an action that will get there. The goal, what a noble goal this is. The goal is that your brother or sister in Christ, your fellow believers in the Lord Jesus, are saved on the day of judgment because we live in the in-between times between Jesus' first coming and the message of the gospel being proclaimed and his second coming uh, when he will judge heaven and earth. The goal is reached, uh, well, the goal is jeopardised if one of us actually continues in a sin where we flagrantly just say no. I'm not going to let Jesus be Lord over this part of me or this part of my life. You see, the greatest threat to us receiving our eternal salvation is failing to realise the seriousness of sin. It can happen for us as individuals. It can happen for us as a church. The sinful nature that we are born with that controlled our lives before we trusted the Lord Jesus, that desires to crown me as king over my life rather than him. But it is no longer in charge when we trust Jesus. Uh, and that's why Paul wants to see it mastered, indeed disciplined. And so as we want to see one another... Uh, reach uh, that great and glorious day uh, with perseverance and endurance, we need to exercise the loving discipline that God has given us in our church. Now, if that's the goal, what does the action entail? Have a look at it, this again. Uh, in verse 5, hand this man over to Satan. Now, we often stop at that point, uh, but it actually goes further, for the destruction of the flesh. Uh, what does that mean? Paul in 1 Corinthians and everything else he writes 
uh, down, draws a line between those inside a church and those outside a church. So I take it he's talking here about those who are inside the church, people who say that they're Christians, uh, but uh, actually are not living that way, uh, unrepentant of a particular repetitive sin. And what he's saying to do here is to actually separate yourselves from them so that they miss out on the fellowship of the church uh, uh, and are in the wrong fellowship, the fellowship of the world, over which, you know, the Bible says Satan is a ruler of uh, this uh, realm through lies. And so what it's hoping is it will be an incredible wake-up call that the seriousness of the situation might bring a change of heart. What a wake-up call this would be. I think about it for a moment. The most uh, serious danger calls for the most serious warning. And if church is what you lose, if you won't actually turn away from your uh, immorality uh, or other sin, then what does that say about church? As we want to, as we have a responsibility to see each other saved on the last day, God here today gives us the challenge that I need to challenge you. Are you willing to be faithful to God? Are you willing to truly love each other? There's no guarantee it will be easy for us to do this. There's every chance we will find it quite hard whether at the extreme case we might find ourselves in today or at any of the, the different cases that we might find along the way, do we honestly believe that sin is a clear and present danger? And are we humbly, courageously and wisely willing to call out sin in one another's lives? I need you to do that for me. Would you be willing to love me to that extent just as I need to love you? One of the things that comes out of uh, these words, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, often we're told you should do this or do that. Uh, sometimes we don't do things that we should do and we think we're not doing anything by not doing it. Uh, possibly the case could arise here, but actually inaction is unfaithfulness before God. Now the reason for that is uh, there in verses 6 to 8. I'm going to move reasonably quickly through the other verses here in this passage. We've got the main threads uh, all up and visible. But what Paul does with this illustration of the yeast and the bread, we all know how that works, don't we? You know, the yeast in the dough, let it sit, gets bigger, fluffy bread. Everybody loves fluffy bread. Uh, but in the history, apart from uh, identifying that one person's flagrant and continued sin where they just won't uh, repent and say, I'm sorry to God and change their way, uh, can actually spread through and impact all the rest of us. It has consequences for the rest of us. The other thing that's going on here is it actually picks up uh, God's great saving work of bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. 
because they didn't have time. They were in too much of a hurry when God was going to uh, send the, uh, the angel of death. Uh, they needed to sacrifice the lamb. The lamb died, so they needn't die, paint the lamb's blood on the door, and the angel of death would pass over them, and they were saved. What Paul is saying here is now this side of Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb, and he has been sacrificed. And so the holiness we began with actually comes from the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus. So you can see how the whole yeast and bread thing slides from its first meeting into the, that second. The point is we've been made to live a certain life. We've been made to live holy lives uh, and we must be who we are. Now, over the coming weeks, we're going to read more of just what that will mean uh, when it comes to sex and marriage and singleness, uh, to idolatry and to Christian freedom. In one sense, you could call this, uh, this section, even all the way from you know, chapter one, you could view it as Christian ethics. Uh, a simpler way of talking about it could simply be how then should we live? Whichever way you want to label it, uh, it never happens in a vacuum. We, we've seen every week uh, that we've been reading 1 Corinthians that it's the message of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus that makes and shapes who we are. Uh, it's who we are in him that shapes it, must shape our life and actions. Made holy, we should be holy. Now, I moved uh, reasonably quickly through that and I thought at this point there might be a few questions that you had that came to your mind that I haven't uh, properly attended to. Here, here's a, a couple of things that I thought uh, may be really helpful at this point. The first is, uh, have you ever heard the word excommunication? Uh, you see it in movies and you hear it in history. You can even hear it uh, from different religious organisations today. Um, people attach a lot of baggage to that. But where the original idea comes from is passages like this, and there are one or two others like it in the New Testament. Uh, excommunication means out of communication, out of being connected, out of fellowship, as Paul writes here. And so... Rather than shape this passage by whatever you've heard about excommunication uh, and used for good or for ill, much better look at the passage and let that shape our thinking about how we love one another in this way as a church. Secondly, judging. Did this one come up for you? Last week Paul said, uh, don't judge others, leave judgment to Jesus you can't judge me, I don't even judge myself. This week he says, I have judged this person and found wanting, put them out of your fellowship. The thing about the, the language of judging is it is used in different ways. The sort of judging he's talking about in chapter four is sitting on the throne of Jesus in the, you know, in the courtroom on the last day uh, and replacing him with ourselves. Uh, thinking about this person or that person and, and what we think they deserve uh, 
But when he's talking about it here in this context, and he even says, you know, uh, actually there's a difference between uh, those who trust Jesus and those who don't trust Jesus and how we relate to them. He's saying, actually, you should judge your own actions and you should judge your brothers and sisters in Christ's actions, not sitting on the throne on the final day, but so that we may lovingly serve one another. I use the word discernment. We should be discerning about each other's actions. Uh, I think that reflects what Paul's saying here. Now, uh, he's not saying, uh, likewise, have nothing to do with people who don't follow Jesus. Because you know, he says, well, if you, if, you, if you didn't do that, then you wouldn't have anyone in the world. You'd end up in a monastery, you know, and that's exactly what some people did. Uh, but we are able to judge, be discerning of the actions that we and our brothers and sisters in Christ are taking for the sake of loving each other as we walk toward uh, the coming kingdom of God. Uh, one other, two other thoughts on clarifying questions, well, this is more a uh, suggestion, which is we can't care for and love one another in the sort of way that Paul expects and that this is founded on here unless we know each other and spend time with each other. And so let me encourage you, uh, you won't get to know everyone here across this congregation uh, that's one of the reasons we have small groups. Uh, but let me encourage you to take the steps you need to, to be available and willing to know others and be known by them. And you might think to yourself, what? So they can say this sort of thing to me? And I want to say, actually, it's so that we never get anywhere near that situation that we encourage one another to endure and persevere and walk in holiness. That's why it's so important that we have trusted brothers and sisters who know us and we know them. The final uh, thing that I will mention is forgiveness. Remember, this is all about the identity that has been given to us by the Lord Jesus. It is about being his forgiven people. And when we sin, and we do sin, and I sin, and you sin, we are forgiven. We may be forgiven. The only thing you can't be forgiven for is turning away from the message of forgiveness in Jesus. And so... If you continue in a sin that you will just not walk away from and you will not listen to wisdom, to the word of God, there is this grave danger that you will actually ultimately reject the forgiveness Jesus brings. For all of us, when we turn back to God, it is a wonderful joy that we may say, I am sorry Please forgive me. Thank you that you have Heavenly Father in the Lord Jesus. It also is a great joy that we can forgive one another 
when we fail and sin against each other. And it is also a wonderful joy that we may console each other. When a brother or sister has sinned, we can encourage them in the hope and the knowledge of forgiveness and the holiness that is already ours in the Lord Jesus. And so if this is hearing God's word today, Uh, has got you reflecting on particular issues or uh, reflections upon your own life, your own sin, let me encourage you to speak to a trusted brother or sister in Christ about it. If you want to, you can come and talk to me about it. I promise I will listen first and only speak second. The thing is, We have an incredible opportunity. We have an incredible privilege to love one another. And what a wonder that by God's grace, our brothers and sisters around us would love us in that same way. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Uh, Your word uh, shines a light on us and into the darkness of our own hearts without you. But thank you likewise that into our hearts and minds and lives and identities you have spoken the good news of Jesus. Help us, we pray, as we lovingly seek to serve one another as your church, uh, to be wise to be humble and likewise to be courageous for the sake of loving one another your way that we might see Jesus on the last day in all his glory, confident and with joy. Amen.